Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. We are moving toward God as we move through the Psalms of Ascent. And today we come to hymn number 8 in this uh, collection of Psalms, the Psalm, uh, the Psalms of Ascent. Psalm 127. And it says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate." So in this psalm, uh, we have something different. First of all, this is a song of Solomon. That's new. Uh, we've not had a song of Solomon. There are only two psalms in the book of Psalms that are attributed to him, this one in Psalm 72. And then secondly, this is a, a wisdom psalm. It's categorized as a wisdom psalm. In the Old Testament, there is a, a genre of literature, a corpus of, of literature called wisdom literature. And Old Testament wisdom literature basically answers the question, how can I live the best life possible? Uh, wisdom literature is very realistic, very pragmatic. Uh, wisdom literature recognizes that life is short and life is hard. <laughs> man, full of, man born of woman is, is a few days and full of trouble, it says in the Bible. And so this is, um, uh, wisdom literature is very honest about life is short, life is hard, and the world is broken. So how can I live my best life now? How can I live, um, how can I make the, the most of this life and this fallen world? And the short answer in wisdom literature, think Job and Proverbs and, and Ecclesiastes and some of the Psalms, the short answer is this, you live life with God, God's way. That's the short answer. Live life with God and live life God's way. And that's how you will make the most out of this life. That's how you'll have the best life you can have in a broken world. Wise living is about getting right and staying right with God and acting right with respect to other people. Now here in Psalm 127, we have a snapshot of a successful life. Now our writer's not going to give us a six-step formula for success. Here's how you get there. But rather, he's just going to give us a contrast. And he's going to show us a contrast between two approaches to life, namely a self-built life versus a God-built life. A self-built life contrasted with a God-built life. And in the wisdom literature of the Bible, uh, we see a lot of this, these contrasts like that, where you have um, uh, wisdom versus foolishness, or the wise person contrasted with the fool, or uh, fulfillment versus futility, righteous versus wicked, and so forth. And so here we have this contrast between a self-built life and a God-built life, and the underlying contrast really is um, self-sufficiency versus a, a dependence on God. Um, this self-sufficient life, you can, you can live your life your way uh, in your strength and your wisdom by your wits, or you can live a life of utter dependence on God. I want to live life with God involved, dependent on God, and I want to live life God's way. So that is the contrast. So we have a self-sufficient life, a self-centered life, a self-built life 
contrasted with a God-built, God-centered, God-given, God-defined, and God-involved life. Um, in New Testament terms, Paul put it this way in Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So in this psalm, we have this contrast, a self-built life and a God-built life. And I want you to see four rewards of a God-built life. This is a snapshot of success, how you can have the best life now. Here is a uh, four riches, four resorts, uh, rewards, or four results of a God-built life. So let's take a look. If you have your listening guide, here we go. Number one is satisfying work. One, The first reward of a God-built life is satisfying work. Verse one, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain, who build it. So building a house, just a construction job, building your house. Uh, that terminology can refer to building a family, and we'll come back to that later. But the idea probably is just building a house. And unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. Our true security comes from the Lord. Our, our lives are in His hands. And then verse 2, it's vain for you to rise up early to retire late. So, so to get up early, work hard, work late, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors. Or, or, or as King James would say, eat the bread of sorrows. Or as another translation, to eat the bread of anxious toil. So what we have here is really just everyday work. Building a house, guarding a city, or uh, working a job. And all that work, all that life, without God is vain. It is vain. Now that word vain, uh, that's the same word we hear in the Ten Commandments. In the Third Commandment, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And it means without value, uh, worthless, emptiness. It speaks of vanity or falsehood. You don't take God's name as though it were meaningless or worthless or did not have value. And here, life without God Work without God, the self-sufficient life is frustrating, it's empty, it's ineffective, it's unsatisfactory, and generally futile. That's what we hear in, in verse 1. On the other hand, working with God, work with God, or working for God is effective. It is enjoyable, and it can be very satisfying. Over in, in Colossians uh, Paul tells this, uh, he, he instructs us this way in Colossians chapter 3, actually talking to slaves. And he says, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So we, we can live with the Lord. We work with the Lord. We work as to the Lord. We work for the Lord. And when we do that, working with God and for God, it's a game changer. And now work, whatever it is, whoever you're working for, whatever kind of work you're doing, it can actually be meaningful and satisfying and enjoyable, let alone effective. Now, the Bible has a whole lot to say about work. There is a, a Protestant work ethic, if you will, a biblical view of work, a biblical work ethic. And that's a, that's a whole other talk for a whole other time. But, uh, but here in this psalm, I want you to know that work can either be empty and futile or it can be a blessing to be enjoyed. Here's the second reward of a God-built life, restful sleep. 
Restful sleep. He says in verse 2, He gives to His beloved even in His sleep. Or He gives to His beloved sleep. Work without God. Life without God. That self-sufficient, self-built life increases worry and stress and anxiety. Do you ever wake up in the middle of the night and you can't go back to sleep? Man, that's the most frustrating thing. Oh, it's just so aggravating, isn't it? You wake up and you can't go back to sleep, and then you just lie there in the dark. Next thing you know, you're solving the world's problems. Actually, you're not solving any problems. You're just imagining problems. And you start worrying, and you start thinking, what if this happens and that could happen, and what am I going to do about this, and, and good luck going back to sleep now. Your mind just races with all that stress and anxiety and worry and fear about all these kinds of things. Well, that self-sufficient life, that, that, that life apart from God, without God, the life that leaves God out leads to ineffective work, insufficient security, we heard in verse 1, increased worry, and interrupted sleep. That's what we hear. On the other hand, the God-built life, that God-centered life, the life that depends on God, that life lived by faith actually brings rest and peace rest and peace. In Proverbs 3, the writer tells us, if, if you walk in wisdom, if you live life with God and you walk in God's ways, when you walk in wisdom, then Proverbs 3.24 says, when you lie down, you'll not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. One of the rewards of a God-built, God-centered, God-dependent life is rest and peace. Um, the Bible, uh, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He is our Sabbath rest. We enter into his rest. And then he is the Prince of Peace. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. And he said, My peace give I unto you. We can have the peace of God, that peace that comes from God. So that God-built life brings rest and peace, namely in the form of restful sleep. Here's a third reward I want you to see in this psalm, and that is uh, the, a blessed family, or the blessing of family, but a blessed family. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Now back in verse 1, building a house, like I touched on this a minute ago, building a house, that, that terminology can refer to building a home, building a household, building a, a lineage. We hear that terminology a few times in, in Genesis and Deuteronomy. But it's certainly in view in verses 3 through 5. This is all about the family and having children. And, we're going, and we'll hear that theme again in the next psalm as well. In the culture of the Bible, a large family was seen as a blessing from God. A large family is a blessing. It's a gift from God in the, in the worldview of the Bible, in the culture of the Bible. Now, can we talk a minute? <laughs> let's, let's, be, let's just talk. Let's be honest with each other. Parenting is hard. Parenting is stinking hard. It, uh, raising three boys is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. It is it may be the hardest thing any of us does. It is hard raising children. And in our parental frustration and in our parental fatigue, we say things like, well, grandchildren are God's reward for not killing your own children. 
Or now we know why animals eat their young. Or when you have a headache, do what it says on the aspirin bottle. Take two aspirin and keep away from children. A friend of mine, in his parental frustration, he would, he would often say, children ruin everything. <laughs> Just He was frustrated as a parent. Children ruin everything. Well, that is not a biblical view of children. Now, that is our culture's view of children. And our culture sees children as a burden. Children get in the way of, of a self-centered life and doing what you want, when you want, and how you want to do it. That's our, children's, our, our culture's view of children. But a biblical view of children is that children are a gift of God and that parenting is a blessing from the Lord. It's still exhausting, uh, financially exhausting, spiritually exhausting, physically and emotionally, mentally. It is exhausting in every kind of way but it is a gift of God. And here in this, in this passage, in this psalm, having children when you are young, uh, the children of one's youth, the idea is that when you, are old and, when you are old, your children then will be old enough to help you and protect you and provide for you in your old age. And so here's, here's the idea of a, of, a, of a person, especially a man who has a who has a bunch of kids, a bunch of burly sons in particular, they can really help him in his older age. They can help with the work around the farm. Not only that, but they help defend the city. They're like the arrows in his quiver. They're arrows in the hand of a warrior. So those big burly grown sons, they can help defend the family. They can defend the city. They can fight for the country as well. Or when they go to the city gates, we hear in verse 5, the city gates was the place of, of big business dealings or justice was decided at the city gates. I mean, this is where matters of importance were dealt with and decided. And having your family there, especially a bunch of grown men there and your family on your behalf, it just helped protect your interest against swindlers and con men and unjust people and, and injustice and, and all that. So, so having your family there at your side, especially in the city gates, it helped protect you and protect your interests. This is where widows and orphans and foreigners were especially vulnerable. Now, Psalm 127, this is not a, a promise for everyone. Where it says, children are a gift of the Lord, the fruit of the womb is a reward. This is not a promise for everyone. I like what Warren Wearsby said, not everyone is supposed to get married, nor are all married couples able to have children. But all adults can value the children, pray for them, be good examples to them, and see that they are protected and cared for and encouraged in their spiritual upbringing. So here's what I want you to see. This, this passage is not a promise, but it is a perspective. So it's not a promise for everybody, but it is a perspective. Children are a gift of the Lord. Children are a blessing from God. And the principle here, the, the principle is that one of the rewards, one of the riches of a God-built life is that your grown children will one day comfort you and honor you and provide for you and protect you in your old age. That's, that's the idea, the hope, the expectation, one of the rewards of, of a God-built life. And then, fourthly, I want you to see a life-giving relationship. One of the rewards of a God-built life is a life-giving relationship. Again, in verse 2, at the end of the verse, He gives to His beloved sleep. He gives to His beloved. When we were uh, trying to pick out a name for our middle son, I wanted to name him Jedediah. 
And, and my wife said, no, I don't want him to be called Jed all his life. <laughs> so so she, she, she overruled me there. We didn't get to call him Jedediah. I like Jeremiah. Jeremiah, I love the man and the message and the, and the word of God. I love Jeremiah, but she wouldn't let me name him Jeremiah either. So she compromised, and we named him Jeremy. But I love that name, Jedediah. And God actually named Solomon Jedediah. It is a blessing name. We hear that in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And the name Jedediah means beloved of Yahweh, beloved of the Lord. And so here, this is a song of Solomon, a psalm of Solomon. Solomon, our writer, he may have himself in view. He gives to his beloved Solomon sleep. Or he may be talking about God's beloved, these are the righteous, those who walk with God and live God's way, the righteous. When we come to the New Testament, though, God's people are repeatedly described as beloved. Christians are beloved. We are beloved of God. We are beloved uh, by God. We are beloved by the Lord. We are called beloved children. Paul calls other Christians his beloved brethren as well. Not only that, but Jesus is God's own beloved son. And so beloved speaks of an intimate relationship. To be beloved and to be beloved of God speaks of an intimate, loving relationship. And you know, that's what being a Christian really is. Being a Christian isn't about going to church or doing religious things or calling yourself a Christian or believing Christian ideas. Being a Christian is by definition having an intimate, loving relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian is, is to receive God's love through His Son, Jesus Christ, to live in God's love by living in Jesus Christ, to know God's love by knowing Jesus Christ, and then to return God's love. The, the first and great commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So to know God is to love God, and to love God is to obey God, to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That's that intimate relationship with God. It's one of the rewards of a God-built, God-centered life, an intimate, life-giving, life-changing, life-defining, dynamic relationship with God to be His beloved. Now, this is one of the Psalms of Ascent. So these pilgrims going up to Jerusalem to worship God at these annual festivals, uh, they would sing these psalms as they go up to Jerusalem. More often than not, they would be traveling with their families. Uh, so we talked about that last Sunday. So they'd be traveling with their families, um, usually. In Luke chapter 2, we read about Mary and Joseph. They would typically go up to Jerusalem for Passover. And uh, there was that time when they lost track of Jesus. They, Jesus was 12 years old. They thought he was with somebody else in the caravan. And come to find out, he wasn't. They had to turn around and go back and go find Jesus. So this is, uh, this is, this is family worship. This is family time. Coming together to God's house as a family. <laughs> Let me ask you this. You ever get in a fuss on the way to church? You ever get in a family fuss on the way to church? Why are we always late? Why, what took you so long? I don't want to wear these clothes. I don't like these shoes. And get, on the, get in a fuss on the way to church or get in a fuss on the way home from church? Family time. Family worship. I like what one writer said. These, the, these, this psalm is a reminder to those worshiping pilgrims 
that the greatest blessings of life, really all blessings in life come from God, and that the greatest blessings are those blessings that are in and from and around the home. And they come from the Lord. So we have this on. These are the rewards of a God-built life, of a God-centered, God-dependent life. I read a story this week about uh, Billy and Ruth Graham. I don't know if it's true. You have to watch out with preacher stories. You never know for sure. But uh, the story goes that uh, Billy and Ruth Graham were visiting the Bahamas. And while they were there, they were invited to dine with an extremely wealthy man, 75-year-old man who lived in a mansion. And uh, he was absolutely miserable, um, in tears most of the time that they were there. And he told them, I'm the most miserable man in the world. I'm miserable. Uh, that's my yacht out there. I can go anywhere I want to go, anytime I want. I have private planes. I have helicopters. I have everything I could ever want to make my life happy. But I am miserable. Later on that same day, uh, the story goes that Billy and Ruth Graham visited a local Baptist pastor, 75 years old, same age as the millionaire was. 75 years old, he is a widower, and he's taking care of his two invalid sisters. And that, and that man told Billy Graham, I don't have two dollars to my name, but I'm the happiest man on this island. Now, who do you think was the richer of those two men? If we are presented with a choice, would you rather be a millionaire with a mansion and a yacht and planes and everything money can buy? Or would you rather be uh, widowed and taking care of invalids and broke? Which would you rather be? I, I think most of us, if we're honest, would say, man, that's a no-brainer. I don't even have to pray about it. Show me the money. What that story and what this psalm and what the Bible wants us to know is that when you come to the end of your life, What's going to bring you comfort and joy and satisfaction and fulfillment is not the things that money can buy, is not the career that you once had, is not all the accomplishments that you achieved, it's not going to be any of those things that we typically think of as success. What will bring you comfort and joy and peace at the end of your life will be a relationship with God and your family, and your friends. In other words, the rewards of a God-built life. Do you have a God-built life? Do you have that intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Jesus said, This is eternal life, that they may know thee, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Do you know God in that personal, life-giving relationship? In other words, have you been saved? Has there been that time in your life when you've turned from your sin, put your faith in Jesus, and asked Him to forgive you and to save you and to change you? If not, now's the time. Today's the day. And I encourage you to do that right now. Just get on your knees before God. Confess that you're a sinner. Put your faith and trust in Jesus. Ask Him to save you. Put your life in His hands and ask Him to forgive your sin and to save your soul. If you are saved but you're not living a God-built life, oh, you're cheating yourself. A self-built life is vain it's empty it's few it's futile and it just ends up in frustration live a god-centered god-built life let's pray together
Father in heaven, God, we thank you for who you are and what you are. We thank you for showing us these two ways to live, for contrasting before us the results of our choices. God, I pray that indeed we would decide even today, I want to live that God-built life. I don't want to be self-built, don't want to be self-sufficient. I don't want to live life my way, don't want to live it for myself. But I want to live for you and your way. I want to live trusting in you, depending on you, walking with you. Help us to live and to know this God-built life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.